Hey, this is Jen Slumack, and I've been recording for about three years now interviews with people that I found interesting, conversations that I've had with people that I enjoyed talking with. And uh, I've been trying to put together something to call it a podcast forever. And my buddy Vince Carone told me recently, hey, uh, if you want to start something, all you have to do is be about 40% uh, sure what you want it to be. So <laughs> I'm about there now. 40%. I'm going to just start uh, putting some of these things out there and let's see what happens. I want to give listeners a heads up. This is a more serious episode than the ones I have posted thus far. This is a conversation between uh, Didi and myself regarding suicide and uh, questions that come as a result of uh, both of us having lost someone recently to suicide. This was recorded in Antioch, California in July of 2018. We got on the topic of suicide and we got to that topic because just a couple days ago I was made aware of a student that I was counseling. Um, he committed suicide and it's something that I personally had never had to deal with but in this moment it kind of just hit me um, even with me trying to pretend like it didn't happen or it I wasn't connected to it or like trying to put it out of my mind I had to come face to face with every emotion um, that comes with losing someone in that type of way well first of all the context of the work that that Dee, Dee and I do together is um, we work in an industry that helps people right so we work in a helping industry um, it has to do with mental health it has to do with substance use disorder we're frequently involved with people who grew up in poverty, who've dealt with racism, who have been in and out of the system uh, on paper, one way or another, foster care or incarceration. So we're dealing with a population of people who um, have really had to go up against, you know, the big waves in life most of their existence. It's interesting because suicide has continued to show up in my world as well recently and uh so it's been heavy and, you know, you and I got talking about it because you looked heavy and we came in and kind of checked in a little bit. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to necessarily go into the specific details of who the folks are that I lost, but I will talk about their stories in a general way, just to kind of honor their spirit. And also, um, you know, we want to have conversations that it takes courage to have because we both agreed that I think the silence on things like suicide yeah. um, perpetuate the shame that ultimately takes somebody's life. Right? Yeah, that's deep. So, um, so tell us about, about the student that you were working with. So, he was 19 african-american oakland native um and he just walked right into my life um any other way i probably would have never met him um at my at a homeless youth shelter and you work you work there mm-hmm okay mm-hmm so i met him one day and 
initially he was like super standoffish but i'm the type of person like i'm gonna make you laugh regardless i know if i don't know you <laughs> i don't know you're gonna get to know me we're in the same space together i feel like it's always a purpose and a reason behind it for sure no matter how short or how long so our first interaction was hilarious and then days after that we began to get closer and he felt you know naturally more drawn to me so you work at a homeless shelter mm -hmm. and for youth. Mm -hmm. And what was your role? Are you just kind of a, a mentor or a peer or a counselor or what? Yeah, shelter counselor. Okay. Um, and like peer advocacy. Um, so in every capacity of that, they can come to me and confide in me and knowing that what's said to me will stay with me. Um, and I guess they really, they, they trusted me to give them the good advice because they would come pouring everything out. Sure. Well, part of that is because you just wear a big old heart on your face. <laughs> right? That doesn't hurt nothing. You know, you're very welcoming. Yeah. Uh, both in your energy and in your smile, your energy, you know, your spirit. Um, but you're also very wise. Right? Yeah. Um, and, so. <laughs> and she's like, that is true. That is. Uh, and silly. Boy, oh boy, she's silly too. That's why I love you. But I think about, you know, these, these youngsters too, they're coming to you because this is what we as human beings need when we're in pain. We need a place to go where we can say out loud what's hurting inside without having somebody come by with a cape trying to fix it, yeah. trying to tell me what's wrong with me for feeling this way, uh, trying to analyze it or find the source of it. You know what I'm saying? It's mm -hmm. like we just need someone to be present with us in our pain. Yeah. And the way that you described your relationship to this young man the other day when we were talking about this the first time, I really got a sense that that was a big part of what you did for him is that you were able to sit with him mm -hmm. in his struggles. Mm -hmm. And um, I've lost some people that, that were students of mine, and I know that um, I have to believe that, well, I do believe that we can't save people. I do believe that. But I have to believe that the amount of time that I spent alongside them, witnessing them, mattered. Yeah. Right? In some way, shape, or form, it made a difference. So what happened? So, uh, I really be, not really playing a blame game with myself, but I always look back like I wish I would have been there more. So I ended up getting another job and being at the shelter less frequently. Um, so I would get calls or texts uh, about things that were going on at the shelter and with him. And I found out that his behavior got increasingly aggressive, um, that he was pretty much out of control. So I can't speak to what happened um, up to the moment. I got the news afterwards that he had jumped in front of a train. Um... I like, though, the other day how you told me that you could imagine having a conversation with the friend that you had lost to suicide. And when I thought about that, like, legit, I started laughing because my first thought, like, if 
he was here, my first question would be like, bro, why a BART train? Like, why? Like, like, out of everything, why? How? Like, why? How do you think he would have responded to that? Can you picture him responding to that? Yeah, he's he was actually really, I don't know, he was super emo. He probably would have been like, yeah, it's the quickest way. I can really see him like, yeah, that, just get it out the way. Now, before we get, uh, you know, too many people uh, concerned about our sanity for, for talking <laughs> about something as serious as suicide and as recently as this young man that we lost, and then bringing this level of levity to the conversation, please understand that what we're doing is um, taking you to a conversation that we've had already and sharing uh, parts of it with you. Uh, this came up because... Um, I also lost a friend recently uh, who decided to take her life through overdose and apparently left a note, but I was not um, privy to see it. She and I had spoken about her depression and, and my experiences with depression, so I knew that she dealt with it. And uh, everybody has different reasons for why they, you know, uh, surrender to the hopelessness that they feel. Uh, for her, she was in a position of uh, authority in her job and didn't feel that she'd be able to maintain, uh, you know, respect at her work work in her work world <clears throat> if she sought help for depression. Um, so I said to Denise that one of the ways I was able to heal the abundance of grief that sort of stormed over me when I got word that she took her life, um, Part of it was writing, and part of what came from the writing was I imagined taking a walk with her. We frequently took walks at lunchtime at work, and because we were able to share so nonchalantly about some of our darkest darknesses, because we both understood how depression works in our own lives, we also laughed a lot. And so I told Denise that I imagined walking with her and saying, really? <laughs> Pills? Like you couldn't call me? And having her be like, yeah, yeah, I know. Man, I just didn't want to do it anymore. I don't want to bother you. I figured you were busy. You know, and I imagined having this talk with her because, help me here. What am I trying to say? We kind of came to this place in our conversation the other day where uh, honoring their choice to be free from mm. this physical experience. Yeah, yeah. Like the soul, the spirit. And, and often, and, and we were talking about the tenderness of the souls that tend to go. Right? Do you remember yeah. what we were saying about that? Um, I don't know, with, with your friend, she was very ill for a long time. And just the frailty of this physical body and being freed from that. Yeah. And just going to another place just to be free. Yeah. Because really all we are is spirits in a shell on earth. And to look at them as just being free just from this body, but not, not really completely gone. I wrote this for you while you were in the hospital, still on machines, and we weren't sure whether you would make it. 
you died later that day. This is for Cherie. Stripes, April 1st, 2018. The prognosis is not good. There is very little brain activity, I've been told. But there had been enough to write a letter, to make a choice. When the pressure is on, we may do things we never imagined we could. Leap from the window of a skyscraper to escape the heat of fire growing inside. One window, persistent flames, engulfed. I have a friend who has very little brain activity inside of the skull of a head that wore her beautiful smile. A head that threw itself back when she laughed and now lies still on a pillow bearing the weight of the weight. I've loved many people whose spirits once animated their bodies and their bodies are no longer. Their spirits remain with me. I knew them by seeing them. I keep them by feeling them. They have left through old age, disease, or violence. Others, suicide. The latter get called names when they make that choice, when they choose to exit the confines of this experience. They leap, so they may fly again. It's not the first goodbye I didn't see coming. We were planning dinner, a walk, to catch up. I didn't know those conversations were futile. How could I know? You mostly sang a song of victory, and we hoped the world might learn the words. Chances are I wasn't on your mind as you wrote that final letter. You made people your children during this lifetime. I hope messages to them fell from your pen. Stripes. Just goodbye. This note means I thought you might worry more without. Ultimately, unlike my life, this note is not about you. It's about me. I'm tired, so I'm leaving. The prognosis is not good, but for whom? My experience of you was an inexhaustible parade of effort to see, listen, love, and save. Repeat. You smiled and laughed and philosophized and gave and courageously held and spoke and overcame again and again and again. And sometimes you could act ugly, just like me. Sometimes we would speak of hurt, trauma, sensitivity, depression, hopelessness, duty. And people whisper and shame and exploit tenderness. Tender is a challenging composition to wear in this world. It needs a break from taking responsibility for me, for you, for all of it. It needs a break from compliance, duty, and whispers. Faith alone could not sing your lullaby that day because the call for rest was deeper, richer, bigger. The call was for going home that exonerates the need to remain. A call that says, be free. I imagine that you closed your eyes and opened your arms, leaning into an abyss of love so vast as to be swallowed up and reconstructed upon contact, now and forever, retired. People have made rules about when we should retire. Rules not followed are carried on whispers of disapproval. Judgment can become a noise so loud and convincing, I forget that it is not true. 
Physical death is merely an eviction notice. Our physical life ran out of time or hope. Grace forgives the body a spirit's choice to go home. Who is to say it's early or right on time? A teacher. Resurrected from this form. A student. Prodigal child. Welcome home. As you are, no matter what you've done, in the arms of vast love and serenity, I won't play what if. I won't speculate. I won't judge. I do and will love you. You were a beautiful physical expression of spirit. I will do as I did before the choice dissolved into your biology. You chose a quiet chemical train home. I will love you as you sleep. Love is the only thing that is true. Spirit is the great animator. Spirit is love. Our greatest goal as human, I believe, is to remember that we are love and to be it in our lifetime. You remembered. You knew. You were. You did. So, spirit redistributes itself. Memories are the idea of you that remain and are dispersed now. They are alive, living. The idea of you still helps me make decisions and comforts me because I know you. I can still see you, smell you, hear your laugh, see your smile and brave ink. I hear your voice and recall your experiences. I recall spirit, alive. God loves us through our relationship to spirit. When the body is gone, we must love the memory. Memory is. Spirit is. God is. Same. We are never alone. Forever spirit. Visiting as human. Hosting hints of the great animator. Teaching and learning. Hurting and growing. But ultimately, helping each other remember what we already know. That we are never alone. I have a friend who has very little brain activity inside of the skull of a head that wore her smile. A head that threw itself back when she laughed and now lies still on a pillow bearing the weight of the weight. I am prepared to grab the baton. We miss you, Cherie. This has been Jen Slumack, author of Soul Not Skin, Becoming the Me I Was Meant to Be. Available through my website at www.soulnotskin.com. Our next episode will be a continuation of this one, where we discuss depression and suicide. Thanks for coming by.